You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and I'm so glad that you've joined me for today's episode, where we are joined once again by pastor and author, Dan Kent. Dan is a pastor in Minnesota at Woodland Hills Church, as well as the author of a number of books. Many of you probably remember Dan from when he came on the podcast a number of months ago to discuss his book, The Training of KX-12. I know a number of you read it and were blessed by it, and I am equally confident you will be blessed by this conversation about confident humility. This book was challenging and encouraging to me as I read it. It gave me some new language, new ways to understand what I had been experiencing around humility, and even helped me reshape some of the ways I understood it, helped me kind of understand some of the ways I had misunderstood it and misapplied it, and ultimately invited me to greater life. I also always appreciate when someone can give me a new, beautiful insight into the Bible, and that's what Dan did and does in this conversation with a very well-known passage in Matthew chapter 23, where we're told not to call people father or teacher. Dan gives us fresh insight into that passage and helps us to understand this amazing love that God has for each and every one of us. It's not something we can earn. It's not something based upon what we do. But Dan invites us truly to understand God's love for us, which keeps us from seeing ourselves as too low and helps us not look at ourselves as too high above others, but invites us just to live out of this beautiful love of God. And then, friends, we are freed to play in this amazing world that God has given us. This conversation isn't just about knowing more or understanding a concept more, but really takes us into a new way of life, a new way of relating to ourselves, to God, and to others. So friends, after listening to this conversation, I do highly encourage you to click that link below, buy Confident Humility, and go even deeper on this foundational journey of our faith as people seeking to live the way of Jesus. Blessings as you engage our conversation and this book around confident humility. Well, Dan, welcome back to the Rua Space Podcast. How's it going, Phil? It's really good. I, I loved our previous conversation, and I think this one has an opportunity to even take another step forward. This book was really good. Well, I'm so honored that you read it. That's I appreciate that. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I don't have a huge platform, so... Uh, I, I love it. I get excited when somebody's reading my book. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. And this book, Confident Humility, it, it really spoke to me. As we were talking about beforehand, um, I think it put some really helpful language and maybe some color to my experience of faith the last couple of years. Um, being on this Rua Space journey, you know, you get feelings about things. And this, and especially around humility, has become so important to me. But I think I had misunderstood some aspects of it. Um, and so mm. your book really really did a great job, I think at least, helping me take that next step. So I want to say thank you on one level, but then to sort of begin our conversation, can you just talk about why humility? Why did you write this book? What What yeah. is so important about it? Yeah, uh, 
that that's a, a great question and i think boy uh there's so many reasons there's so much involved but i guess the one thing that i'll say is that when i came on this upon this study uh and some of these ideas it's because i was having an issue with um these different views of human nature that i was running into and uh you know and i, I just felt like in church and in society i was being pulled in two opposite directions it was driving me crazy and one on one hand I had like people at church who were saying things like, you know, oh, I'm a despicable sinner and I'm I'm worthless and I can't do anything good on my own. And then on the other hand, I had people at school saying that you're wonderful, you're special, uh, and they're trying to boost my self-esteem and you need to think good about yourself. And so I was getting it from both ends, man. The cat posters with the nice saying on it, that kind of stuff. That's (laughs) right. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I was trying to figure out as a growing young man, like, should I think of myself despicably or should I think of myself in this positive way? And, and so much hangs on it in terms of our daily walk. And so I just, I really wrestled with this. And then I came upon Jesus's teaching uh, on on humility in Matthew 23. And it just sort of solved the problem for me. It kind of introduced a solution to the problem. And so really, you know, the humility as a virtue is you know important but it it, the humility that jesus teaches really emerges out of a much deeper place than just a virtue it's an entire worldview it's an entire uh anthropic idea it's like this 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 is what human nature is and this is what it means to be um a child of god and a brother and sister in christ and and so it's much more fundamental than just a a virtue and so that when i when i realized that uh, I realized that I have to I have to write this, and it also sort of solves this problem of, of these two ditches, these two forces, and so that's sort of the the original motivation for it. Yeah, and it seems to, as you said, when it becomes that worldview, to me, it, it it impacts everything. It impacts your vocation, your relationship with your family, with your enemies, with the church, with why you do everything that you do. I mean, who knew humility would be the foundation? Yeah, yeah, I know, and and uh, and it's so cool, and that's where you know. Um, you really, it's not, it doesn't like slap you in the face. I and mean, it's not obvious when you read Matthew 23, but um, if you just kind of read it carefully and really think about what Jesus is saying there, it really does emerge uh, as this, uh, as this third, third option. I don't want to say third way because everybody's saying third way, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately it is, it's, it solves, it's, it solves these two problems. So, well, take us into that passage if you can, because I, I, I've got to be honest, I, I had not thought of it this way before. And now it makes complete sense. It's like that moment of clarity. And I think you've hit the nail on the head with it. Yeah, well, let me pull out my, my Bible to, so I can read it exactly. Yeah. Um, although I probably have it memorized at this point just because I spent 10 years working on this. But uh, <laughs> uh, basically, the, there's this this little block of text. At, you know, Bible scholars call it a pericope, which is one of my favorite words. And um, I really looked at the first 12 verses of Matthew 23. And that pericope, that little chunk of text, ends with this with this sentence: "For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." And um, and what I realized as I was reading this is really that's sort of the conclusion of the section. But really, what Jesus is unpacking in that those prior eleven verses is his understanding of humility, and he definitely um, he definitely you know 
agrees with what a lot of church fathers have said about humility. One of the things I was finding as I was studying this is that reading a lot of you know church writers and popular church writers today is they tended to think of humility as the opposite of pride. And and I understand that because it's really hard to think of a person who's both arrogant or prideful and humble. It just it doesn't work in your head. Um, and Jesus definitely agrees with that because he says he talks about the Pharisees about how they love the place of honor at banquet tables and how they love to be greeted in the marketplace and called rabbi. Um, and so this idea of being better than others is not humility. Humility is contrary to that. But unfortunately, what's happened is a lot of people in the church has said, okay, well, then humility must be the opposite. Humility must be to think of yourself as lowly as possible and to put yourself below others and to think about yourself as despicable. And if if humility is the opposite of pride, then if pride is anything that's pro-self or good, well, then I must think of myself anti-self and bad. And, and the more humility I want, the more negative I have to be about myself. And it kind of creates this downward spiral, this kind of race to the bottom, I call it. And um, and that just seems dysfunctional to me. And it always has. Uh, but then I noticed this, what he says. He says, you are not to be called rabbi for you have only one master and you are all brothers. Okay, so don't let anybody put you above them. That is, don't be prideful. For you are all brothers and sisters. And then here's the catch. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Now, he doesn't care about the term father because he uses this all over the place. And and so what he's saying here, and he doesn't care about being called teacher because he even in this passage, he refers to the teachers of the law. And so it's not teacher that he cares about. It's the exaltation of the teacher that really uh, he's really kind of saying, don't let don't exalt anybody above you. But then also don't exalt anybody above yourself. That is, don't view yourself below others. And so what Jesus is saying is that humility, yeah, it's against pride, but it's also against the opposite of pride, which is shame. And so humility, the way Jesus teaches it, is opposed to both shame and pride. Don't put people above you. Don't put people below you, um, for you are all brothers and sisters. And that's sort of uh, the foundation of, of um, how I read that text. And I think it's, it's pretty profound because it goes against both of those forces. The one force that says you have to think about yourself as low as possible, and the force that says you have to think about yourself as high and as, as positive as possible. Jesus says that they're both flawed. In fact, what you find when you, when you research those those um, character traits is that they both lead to all sorts of different dysfunctions. And I sort of get at that in, in the book. So based on that reading, it really then pictures sin a little differently, right? Because mm. I, I think we're used to the, even the language of like being a worm, right? Or saved a wretch like me. And we think, well, I, I need to see myself as terrible because my good deeds are filthy rags, right? We see those things tossed around a lot. So I think it um, gives us a better understanding of sin. How would you see sin in that light? Because there's probably people saying or thinking, because this is, I think, partly how, how I had thought too, that, well, then if I'm going to be humble, it's going to be my realization that I can do nothing good. That it is all just because of God, which which we're not saying it's not because of God, but but um, but what do we then do with sin? What do we then do with with those difficult parts? Yeah, I, I think well, boy, there's a lot there. Let me there just is. say yes. <laughs> yeah, let, let me just say this: um, this idea that 
I can't do anything good on my own, I think real humility would reject that because uh, even what Jesus says is he says those who humbled themselves uh, will be exalted. And so, and, and when you think about this, it's humility is not something that somebody else can do for you. Uh, humility is something that you have to do on your own because if somebody else does it for you, that's a totally different thing. That's called humiliation. And, and, and so Jesus is calling us to something much better than humiliation. He's calling us to humble ourselves, but that's, that's not all there's, you know, uh, all over, you have all of these commands that the apostle Paul and Jesus and Timothy, they all give, uh, to flee evil. He's calling us to flee evil desires, to turn away from wickedness, to live in peace, to be patient with all, to not seek vengeance, to hold on to what is good. These are all things that we're commanded to do. And, um, and, you know, and so there's a lot of these sorts of commands that that God is calling us to do. Now, there's a lot of things that we can't do. We can't save ourselves. Uh, salvation is a gift of God, so that no one may boast, and we can't earn it. Um, and and we can't secure ourselves in any deep, meaningful way. We need God's love to to secure us. And so, um, whatever sin is, uh, Jesus's commands suggest that it doesn't mean that we can't do anything good on our own. It just means that we can't save ourselves and we need a savior to reconcile us to God because of our sin. Um, and, and so that's, that's what I would say about sin is that as, as horrible as sin is, um, two things, one, it doesn't sabotage our ability to do anything good. And uh, number two, it doesn't sabotage God's love for us because Romans tells us five in Romans 5, 8, that God loved us while we were yet sinners. When we were at our very worst, God loved us with this unsurpassable love, this this uh, highest, greatest conceivable love, even when we were at our worst. And so that's what I would say about sin. Well, and that seems to kind of get to the core of it, right? That humility then is linked to our worth in God, not in what we've done or what's been done to us or what we haven't done. That was such a beautiful transition, man. It's like you (laughs) planned that, you know, set up so nicely, so nicely, you know, you're right. And, And in fact, when Jesus says, you know, don't put anybody above you and don't put anybody below you for you are all brothers and sisters. And he's saying that there is nobody above you or below you. He, he doesn't say pretend like you are equal like this. Don't, he doesn't say pretend like you are brothers and sisters. He says you are all brothers and sisters. And, and, and so there's this equality there. And that equality, and that's what humility is, is living into that reality that we are all brothers and sisters and that we are secured in God's love. And, and what that means is that um, God loves us with this unsurpassable love. And by being unsurpassable, it means that God couldn't love us more than God loves. And in Second Corinthians, I think, 5, um, yeah, 521, uh, it says that, that God became the antithesis of himself. God became sin. If sin is everything that's not God, well, guess what? God became sin on the cross because of his love for us. He became the antithesis of himself just to demonstrate his love for us. He couldn't possibly love us more. And that's what it means to have this unsurpassable love that we are cherished by God to that degree secures us individually, but it also secures our equality with our brothers and sisters. Because if God loves me with an unsurpassable love, and if he loves you with an unsurpassable love, that means that he couldn't love Margot more. Because if he loved Margot more, then his love for us would have been surpassable. Mm. And and so by loving us all with this unsurpassable love, that also means that we are all 
unsurpassably equal. And the, the, the implications of that are profound. And that's sort of what I unpack in, in the book. So maybe a quick thing we could do right here then is maybe define what humility is then. Yeah, that's that's good. In fact, uh, I, I realized I, it took me a while to even come to the definition. I was just unpacking all this stuff, you know, uh, in the book. And I think what I would say is uh, humility is the more we grow in humility, the more we grow into the reality of God's unsurpassable love for, for me individually. But also the more we grow into the reality of our unsurpassable equality. Mm-hmm. And And what that means is that uh, personally, it means that I don't have to worry about being good enough. I don't have to worry about um, whether or not I'm lovable. Uh, I know that I'm lovable because the creator of the universe became the antithesis of himself to show it. And so uh, trusting in that secures my psyche in a way that nothing else does. You know, as much as as uh, psychology talks about the importance of self-esteem, one of the problems that hu- uh, humanist psychologists have always had is that what grounds that self-esteem? Why should I think of myself as being so wonderful? The faith, Christianity, has that why answered. It's God's unsurpassable love. We have something to found it on. So humility is growing into the reality of God's unsurpassable love for me, but also growing into the reality of God's unsurpassable love for everyone else, which makes us unsurpassably equal. We are brothers and sisters. And humility then is, is living as if that's true and treating one another as they as if they are unsurpassably loved by God and that none of them are beneath us and none of them are above us. Um, and so you, you hear things like, you know, the apostle Paul talking about don't show favoritism, for instance, that's where we kind of think of people above us. And, uh, and look at all the times that Jesus defended those who were viewed lowly. And, and so you see that all over the Bible where, you know, uh, Jesus or one of God's representatives are either, uh, tearing down the arrogant or they're building up the lowly. Uh, because both of those states of mind are the result of a lie, this lie that some people are better than others. What Jesus says is that, no, that's a lie. The reality is you are all brothers and sisters. And the whole world operates on that lie that some people are better than others. And um, and it leads to all sorts of spiritual and psychological problems. Well, and, and see, I think that's one thing I wonder if some people might be thinking that I don't maybe you've run across someone who when you share this does anyone say but I don't know that God loves me that much or I can't believe that God loves me as much as so and so yes uh and I think you know especially if you if they're saying that it doesn't love me as much as so and so that's sort of this I this thought that God loves some people more than others and um and and that's it's not really, you know, because you could show them the Bible verse and you can make the argument that God loves everybody equally. Um, and even me, you know, I believe that passionately. I, I spent 10 years writing a book about it. But even, you know, even I still like question. And, and this is part of, you know, walking with God is we have self-doubt and we wrestle with things. Um, and 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 I think how it works is. We, we get a, a glimpse of the, the reality because we're all born into this delusion that some people are better than others. We've been raised on it since we were little kids. Society and our communities and the media have all sort of nurtured this this assumption that some people are better than others. And so it's just assumed in this very deep place. 
And, and spiritual growth, I think, is growing out of that delusion and into the reality of being brothers and sisters. And, and understanding that truth cognitively is just the first step. There's a trillion uh, psychological habits and physical habits and interpretive habits that we still have to get over uh, as we grow out of that delusion. Yeah, I, I love this. You say at one point, humility means making God your all without making yourself nothing, becoming a full self without becoming full of yourself. Um, and then later on, and I think one thing you were talking about, it reminded me, you know, we all have a story, right? And at the center of our story is what we believe is true about the world and ourselves. And you say, humility means putting the love of God demonstrated on the cross at the center of our self-assessments. And that's so hard because we're raised with, well, you need to get a certain grade, right? And then you're smart. That's your self-assessment or a certain job or a certain car or a certain house or get married and have kids by a certain age. And all of our self-assessments around all of these comparisons and stories were told, but there's another story of the cross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, um, it's funny how how different people are in like what they value and what they think is important. And one of the funny examples I use in there is I had an uncle who just he thought that he could tell the makeup of a man by how firmly he he shook your hand, you know, and, and it's like, well, what a dumb thing to, you know, base your judgment of a person on. But he thought he could. And, um, you know, so not only do I have to be successful, but I also have to have really strong grip, you know, and it's just kind of, it, it can become pretty silly, the types of things that people say, but all of that emerges from this idea that some people are better than others. And when you believe that some people are better than others, and, and it's a belief that you're not even aware of, because it's, it's, you're born into it. And so you didn't even remember it appearing. It was just, it's always been there. And what happens is that, is it does a couple things. One is it forces you to ask the question, where do I stand on this hierarchy? If some people are better than others, well, where am I? And number two, how do I move up? And so, and that's where it's different. Some people it's money, some people it's looks, some people it's fame. Um, but it's the same question. How do I move up in this hierarchy? And um, and Jesus blows all that up by saying it's all a big dumb lie. It's, it's, uh, it's a delusion. And um, real growth and real security comes when you can grow out of that false belief. So what is the role of gratitude in that yeah. in that part? I, I've just been seeing humility and gratitude seem to be themes that I'm coming across a lot lately. And they seem to be related. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it really gratitude really pushes back against both of these these ditches, these forces uh, uh, for those in that I call it the ditch of smallness. Those who want to view themselves as negatively and as despicably as possible. Uh, they also they would agree. Well, yeah, gratitude is important. But can you really be grateful for something that's just so despicable? And and so there's this competition there where it's like, I am just worthless and I am a loathsome worm and I am a burp trapped in some hobo's throat. And thank you, Lord. Thank you for this life of mine, Lord. It's like, well, no, you can't. You're not going to be grateful for something that you loathe, you know. And so gratitude really pushes against all of those compulsions to view ourselves so low. But it also pushes against uh, the ditch of bigness, this idea that you you are wonderful and you are special. And and the ditch of bigness and the self-esteem movement really does emphasize the self. And it can, becomes very self-oriented and, and you you feel justified in your own goodness. And um, And what gratitude does is 
gratitude is interpersonal in nature. When I am grateful, well, who am I grateful to? You know, it automatically introduces the source of my gratitude. And so gratitude really does push against the ditch of bigness too. And it exposes that I am not anything special on my own. I am special in relationship to the giver of this or the, the wherever I got this. And, and so it, it softens that arrogance that the ditch of bigness often leads to. Yeah. And so we, I think we've talked quite a bit about humility so far, which I feel like could have been a book by itself, just in saying we are loved by God, right? We don't need to hate ourselves. And we also can't go into this place of everything you do is good, but you are loved simply because you are. So, but you then take us into a confident humility Um, because I think once we become humble, there can be a thing of like, oh, well, when someone compliments me, it's not me, right? I haven't done anything. Um, but you talk about confidence in a different way that I think is really yeah. helpful. So take us into that then and that relationship. Yeah. Well, there's so much to say, but I, I, I will say that what, how, why I really first went after this is because, because the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And humility is obviously very important to God. And, and yet David was so cocksure of himself, you know, just like, his confidence was just, it jumps off the page when you read, you know, his, his uh, competition or his conflict with Goliath. His mm. confidence and just the swagger that he has to walk into this, this encampment and to go to the king and say, who is this Philistine who, who disrespects the armies of the living God? And it just kind of like, wow, that's, that's some serious confidence. You know, this guy's got swagger. In it. And I'm like, how can a man after God's own heart have that type of confidence? And, and uh, how can you be humble? Because if you're, if you're a man after God's own heart, you must be humble. And so how can you have that and confidence? Well, then as I pursued it, I realized that, you know what, not only can you be humble and confident, I believe now that the only way you can truly be confident is if you are humble in the way that Jesus teaches it in Matthew 23. Because this is this is sort of, I think, what humility and com- the relationship between humility and confidence are. Uh, I think we all want to be secure. And, um, and, and I think what what we have in Christianity is we have a God who, who became the antithesis of himself to show us how secured we really are. And, um, but if you don't have that, you're going to strive to try to secure yourself. And you're going to do that by trying to accomplish things. And you set up these, this criteria in your head that if I could do this, then I would be good enough. And, and all of that sort of la la basically. Um, well, and, and so we're always trying to assess ourselves and, and, uh, uh, humility is the realization that we don't need to do that anymore. Humility is the realization that I'm secured in God. Um, I don't have to earn anything from God and no matter what I do, I'm going to be loved in the same way. Confidence has nothing to do with us personally in that deep way. Confidence is just an assessment of what we can do of our skills and our assets. And, uh, and so if, if I'm confident in my, um, swimming ability, it just means that I trust my ability to swim. It it, it doesn't really have much to do with me personally. It has to do with this external assessment of the skill that, that I have. And so security for the Christian is, 
is this gift that God gives us. But confidence is very different. Confidence is this opportunity that God gives us that we can we can become confident. And um, and so if I want to like learn to play the violin, I can go and learn to play the violin. And I can pick up notes and I can understand scales and I can learn some songs. And as I do that, my trust in my violin ability increases. And um, and that's a beautiful thing. But here's what happens though, that I've found is that people get performance anxiety and people get all sorts of anxiety around uh, whatever it is that they're trying to be good at. And, and where that anxiety often emerges from is insecurity. Whenever you feel really anxious about it, it probably means that you're trying to get something out of this activity that it's not meant to give you. If it, you know, and I see it all the time, especially kids who grow up in families where success is so important in the family. And and maybe, you know, affection might even be contingent on on good performance even. Uh, you know, affection from mom and dad uh, is contingent on me getting good grades or me having an accomplishment or whatever. And you grow up in that environment and now suddenly – playing the violin or taking a history class, it's not just about the violin and it's not just about learning about civil war history. It's about whether or not I can earn love from my parents. And if you come into a new skill or a new task or something and you don't feel secure inside, you're automatically going to add that criteria or that burden onto whatever it is that you're doing. And of course, of course you're going to have performance anxiety if you're playing the violin and it's not just about playing some dumb Chopin song, but you're actually trying to earn dad's love. I mean, of course you're going to have performance. There's so much on the, on, at stake there. There's so much on the line, but the more you grow into humility and the more you grow into that security, everything else in the world just becomes what it is. It's just a playground where you can just go and do things. You play the violin just for the sake of playing the violin. And if you suck, big deal. You know, you, you give a presentation on tree frogs, not because you want to show the world how smart you are and to earn their affection, but just simply because you've learned these things about tree frogs and now you want to share it with others. And and there's not that, that same burden isn't there anymore where you have to earn anything. And you find this in Matthew 23, too, where the Pharisees, they tied up heavy burdens and put them on people's shoulders. Uh, and that's exactly what they were. They put a hedge around the Torah. They put all these rules in place that if you wanted to be good enough, in this house, you have to meet all of these expectations. And and Jesus is just like, that's that's silly. That's you know, don't do that like the Pharisees do. They put this burden on people's shoulders, but they're not really willing to help. In fact, they're the ones who put it there. They're benefiting from these burdens. And the world too, it, it, it just puts all these burdens and expectations on us. But when we live into humility, we realize that all of this is just a silly show. And we are secured in God's love for us. And we can just go out and do things just for the fun of doing it. And what happens is we end up performing better because we don't have that extra burden on our shoulders. We don't have all those worries and those anxieties. And we can just focus on things for what they are and we do better. And, um, and so that's kind of a, a quick gist on how humility is related to confidence. I really like that image of the playground. Uh, the I think you even used the word uh, toys in your book at one point that God has like put yeah. toys out and we we get to just go and play with them. And I think we that's it's a wonderful yeah. image because I think sometimes we take what our parents showed us like you were talking about with well I need to please my dad by hitting a home run or playing the violin in a certain way or getting a certain grade and it's like we then extrapolate that to God and say well then because of my sin God can't love me and then it's almost like maybe we go into the ditch of the bigness the one of well it was high self-esteem well 
to protect ourselves and say, no, 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 I'm perfect or I'm great. But we're invited just to play out of a place where we're just loved and uh, where we're yeah. just cared for. I, I think that's a really valuable image to hold on to. Yeah, it, it's been helpful for me, too, because, you know, I, I like competing and I can get pretty competitive. And, and sometimes I just have to check myself and say, you know, this is just the playground. We're just playing. And especially, you know, if you're, you know, I'm a pastor at Woodland Hills now and, you know, I, I get to preach every once in a while. And, uh, and you know, those types of things could could easily get to a person's head. Like, wow, look how important I am. And, and just to remind myself that no, you're not important. It's just a playground. That's all it is. You're just playing at a playground. It's not that big of a deal. And and so it works both ways. It can help you if you have anxiety, and it can also help you if you have uh, arrogance about it. I think in our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook world, I wonder if this has been blown up even more because now everyone is just yeah. put, you know, you Instagram, I am envy, right? Of, well, no, I don't, man. I have so many followers, so I've made it or I don't, you know, my life doesn't look like theirs, so I haven't. Yeah. But when our worth is in the fact that we're equal in God's eyes, everything else we just get to play with. But yeah. on the same note, as much as we're invited to play, I think this has significant repercussions for issues of oppression and inequality in our world, right? I mean, right now, um, you know, whenever you're listening to this, I'm sure there is an issue that you can relate it to. But right now in the midst of a pandemic and this discussion over systemic racial and oppression issues, can you take us a little bit into how humility might help us in our love for one another as well? Yeah. Um, well, I, really how it really helps is that humility really pushes back against um, two, the, the two ditches and each of the ditches tend to foster an environment where oppression is likely. And, um, and they both tend to feed oppression. Uh, the ditch of smallness tends to make people more vulnerable to be oppressed. And the ditch of bigness tends to turn people, um, you know, even when they don't realize it into oppressors and they, they don't even know that it's, happening and um what happens is uh you know the example I, I i talk about is um martin seligman in his research he did this study on these dogs and um he th it's kind of a sad study but he did the study where he put these dogs in this little room and they had this these minor little electrical bolts on the floor they weren't that bad but i still don't like it and someday i'm gonna have a sit down talk with martin and say what's up yeah. what are you doing here <laughs> But he put these yeah. dogs in this little kind of playpen with these this electrical grid, and then he would give this little shock, and the dogs would go running out the little door in the playpen. And he and then he uh, he did this, and that's that's what they always did. Of course, they got shocked. They're going to get the heck out of there. But then he put them in a room that didn't have a door, and what he found was that the dogs would jump and they would yelp, and he would you know the electrical bolts would still go, and eventually they would stop trying to get out, and they would just lay down and whimper. And um, and what he found that was really fascinating was that when he later took the dogs from the playpen without the door and put them in the playpen with the door and he turned the electrical bolt on, they still just laid down and whimpered. They didn't leave the playpen. Uh, what they had done is they had learned that it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter. It, it, there's no sense in me trying because I am just hopeless. I am helpless and I just need to sit and take it. And um, and I think that, that that can happen with people. 
as well, where we just learn how to be helpless and we end up kind of um, submitting to the, the ebbs and flows and the principalities and powers in our, in our life. And, and the ditch of smallness, which is this idea that humility is only the opposite of pride and you have to think about yourself as small as possible and as despicable as possible and don't think anything positive about yourself, how could that not lead to learned helplessness? I mean, by definition, learned helplessness is sort of the goal. That's sort of what you, hey, that's, you've done it. That's good. And, and so, of course, that's going to make us more vulnerable to oppression. Um, and then the ditch of bigness is, is sort of the inverse of that, where uh, the more that we realize or the more that we think that we are great just the way we are, well, if we're great just the way we are, any problem that we come upon in life, we're immediately going to assume it's somebody else's fault because we're wonderful. And, and it's subtle and it's uh, subconscious a lot of times. And it starts that way, but it can really grow. And when we're uh, doing the other kind of, uh, what would you say, this uh, discipleship of the ditch of bigness, which is to surround ourselves with positive people and to avoid negative people, well, this grandiose understanding of ourselves just keeps growing and growing and growing. And um, and what happens then is we, we eventually just become like we're, we're above other people. We're just we have it all figured out and there's something special about us and um and it can it can grow into a pretty serious sort of uh shocking even um view of the self i i quote this from frank lloyd wright where he says um he he got busted he was having an affair and he got busted and and this is what he said to the newspaper person who interviewed him he said look i i want to say this laws and rules are made for the average the ordinary man cannot live without rules to guide his conduct. It is infinitely more difficult to live without rules. But that is what the really honest, sincere, thinking man is compelled to do. And I think that when a man has displayed some spiritual power like I have, has been given concrete evidence of his ability to see and to feel the higher and better things of life, well, then we ought to go slow in deciding that that person has acted badly. And so here's, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright saying that, yeah, you know, adultery and all the rules about marriage, that's for the average person, not for the spiritually enlightened person like me. And just based on that, he's, you could just hear how he really thinks he's better than other people. He thinks that he's on some higher plane. And what happens is the more we kind of view ourselves as special just on our own without any justification, uh, the more we sort of distort reality and, and we lose objectivity. And the reason why this is dangerous is that we begin to treat people how we value them. And, um, and Samuel Johnson says it this way, he that overvalues himself will undervalue others. And he that undervalues others will oppress them. Mm. And I think that the self, self-exaltation of the self-esteem movement and the positive thinking movement leads to this sort of self-exaltation. And eventually it leads to oppression, um, or at least it fosters it and it fuels it. And uh, humility pushes back against both of those ditches and says, uh, you are all brothers and sisters. You are all unsurpassably equal. Uh, there is no justification to oppress others. There's no justification to be oppressed. Uh, you know, you should stand up for yourself and you should defend yourself and you are not a doormat and you shouldn't be treating other people like doormats. And, uh, so humility really sort of takes the power out of, um, the ditches. Well, and I, and I really appreciate that. And we, we won't dive into this, but I encourage people to go read it that, 
it opens a door to understanding ways to forgive as well then that sin is not what humans ought to do that it's actually the inhuman piece and that we all suffer from that but because we're equal we can forgive in new ways we can love in new ways we can serve in new ways like you said it's really an all new worldview uh, a totally third path so as as we come to our uh, to the end of our time what might you encourage people with just to, where they may be on various parts of the journey but to sort of begin the journey or take the next step what what, what might be something people can say, okay, here's how I can really tap in then to love, you know, learning my worth, avoiding those ditches. Where might people begin? How can they take that next step? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I've never succinctly answered that question. I, uh, to answer that question, I wrote a 200 page book. So, there you go. So um, go read it. No, that is the answer. Absolutely. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> so I think what I would say for something succinct is, um, Anytime that you feel uh, inferior to others, um, if you don't feel good enough, uh, just remember Christ on the cross because that's how much God loves you, uh, that he became the antithesis of himself. And anytime that you um, also mock or ridicule or scoff at somebody, that's usually a derisive sort of uh, spirit that you have toward them. And just remember that that Christ on the cross again, that Christ on the cross died for that person as well. And, and just anytime you have those types of feelings, either pro self or anti other or anti self and pro other, that's like exalting of others. Uh, just remember that Christ died on the cross. And, and that means a couple things. It means Christ died on the cross so that, uh, because God loves you and that other person with this unsurpassable love, but it also means that he had to die for us because we're not, justified in ourselves we are only justified in god's love for us and so i think that's the, the place to to start and keep coming back to well dan i think this book is a, a beautiful one i think it's a wonderful invitation it's challenging and encouraging i i would encourage everyone to go check it out because i think it's a book uh written for our time and so thank you for that i know i appreciate it i got out of a lot out of it i think others will as well um so thanks for you know helping us enter into a little bit in this space as well uh where can people find you and find what you're up to and uh, maybe this is the first time they're listening to the podcast so uh they may not have heard our previous episode but i'd say go listen to that one too but where can they find you just in case yeah, you know, I, I'm uh, on Twitter a lot, so at that Dan Kent. And um, and then I have a Facebook page. It's I think it's author Daniel Kent uh, on Facebook. And uh, th those are the two places that I have on online presence. And then I, I preach at Woodland Hills Church, whchurch.org, and I preach every couple months or so. Um, I, I work with Greg Boyd there and uh, have a podcast with Greg Boyd called Greg Boyd Apologies and Explanations. And that's three times a week. We have a sort of a Q&A podcast and Greg is a, a super genius. And so it's super fun. Um, and so those are probably the primary places you can find me. Thank you, Dan. This this conversation was a pleasure, just like the last one. It's an honor to have you on. To We appreciate your time. So thank you so much again. Thanks, Phil.
Hey friends, Phil here again. Before you go, I just want to thank you again for joining us for this conversation with Dan Kent around confident humility. You of course can find the link to the book below in the description as well as a link to Dan's website. Now friends, if you enjoyed this conversation, we do many interviews like this as well as tons of other episodes about how we can make space for God in our lives. And if you've been blessed by this episode, if you've been blessed by the Ruiz Space Ministry, I would like to ask you to consider supporting us on Patreon. For just $5 a month, you can help keep this ministry alive, where we provide tons of free content to people all over the world. It's a blessing to us, and we are so grateful for those who support it. And as a bonus, friends, when you support us on Patreon, you also gain access to exclusive content, blog posts, live events, podcast episodes, and hopefully more as we keep going. So you can also find that link in the description below. Friends, until next time, may you discover God's amazing love for you as you grow in humility and as you grow in confidence of who God made you to be. Grace and peace be with you. 